because you're jumping back into the gap. All right, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Coaches, happy today to have Florida International Head Coach Jeremy Ballard here with us. And uh, Coach Ballard is going into his third year, but in his first two years at FIU, he has established a new culture of winning while also starting to rewrite the program's record books. And Coach, showing up in the national uh, national rankings for so many things as well, which we'll get into. But first off, thanks for joining us, Trump, with the podcast. Coach, I really appreciate you having me on. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Um, I, I listen pretty religiously, so it, it's truly an honor to be on. And I know I speak from coaches and, and fans all over the world that uh, we appreciate how much you you share the game and, and get all your guests to share the game as well. Well, I appreciate that. And I know that uh, that you're, you're going to be very open and uh, share. And uh, that was part of the excitement of getting you on. But, Coach, I want to maybe go back to the beginning of – a little bit of your pressing philosophy, I imagine. And, and the curious question, having been an assistant with Shaka Smart and VCU, is before you got there, were you aligned with a pressing philosophy or did that experience of be th- being there help bring it more to the forefront for you? Yeah, so that's it, it's very interesting um, to, to reflect back on. So I, I grew up in East Atlanta, grew up in, in the inner city and and the I grew up playing, you know, pressing, trapping, super aggressive style play. That's what we that's what we played. All my coaches taught that. Um, that was our playing style for my entire, you know, prep career. Um, and, and then played in college at Colgate University and and coached at a number of places. I uh, coached at Colgate and coached at the University of Tulsa as well before I got with uh, Coach Smart at VCU. But um, my entire experience um, in, in Division One college basketball you know, I had not experienced, you know, any full court pressing or trapping really at all. So, you know, I just didn't know, you know, I, I just didn't think it was a part of the norm of college basketball. So, you know, to have that experience with coach smart and to really see how much he lived that philosophy um, and everything that we did, you know, it's, it's how we approached all of our drills, obviously it's how we approached weightlifting. It's how we approached conditioning. Um, it's how we approached everything. So it was, it was, it was truly unique to see. So personally, I was aligned with that coach to, to get back to your question, but I had not had the experience in, in college basketball yet of teaching, coaching, or, or being a part of that and, until I got with coach smart at VCU. Well, it's interesting. And so they've kind of reconnected you with the roots of the game for you a lot. And uh, I assume that then moving into your head coaching position, that was something that you wanted to do, not just because of the VCU experience, but also because that's how you grew up with the game. Definitely. And it's it's something that, you know, the VCU experience um, obviously gave me the confidence that it could work at a high level. Um, but it was something that I was personally aligned with. And it, and it's also for me, a game changer. It, it, it's a way to kind of equalize talent. It, it, it's a way to maximize the talent that we had. And, and it was always, you know, depending on the job that, that, that I had, but w- once I was fortunate enough to become FIU's head coach, uh, I knew that it was certainly a, a style that we would want to adopt. 
Talk to me then a little bit about introducing the press at the collegiate level. Is that something, and and often it's chicken chicken or the egg or whatever we're going to do in terms of this, but pressing, is that something you teach first? Is it something you teach before press offense? Uh, How do you approach teaching pressure to a collegiate team? Yeah, well, we kind of intro it um, probably near near and dear to your heart a little bit. We we, we kind of start uh, we start as a whole. Um, you know, we, we you know we kind of talk about it and intro it. We talk about the keys to pressing, and uh, you know anyone that's probably seen any of Coach Smart's videos know know those begin with three things: um, pressure, positioning, and stunning. So you know we we talk about those things in like a five on five setting. Um, we were, we we really emphasize ball pressure. We really emphasize what your positioning should be off of the ball, and, and and we talk about stunning, which is you know a hand and foot fake when you're off the ball towards the ball hander um, to make him think that you are that you are actually coming to trap him. So so we we really intro it um, as a whole, and then then we have breakdown drills that we do to to really introduce to trapping and and work on the art of trapping as well. So the whole part kind of approach to things in in terms of the introduction of them. And then what are some of the things that you're doing to be able to refine the specific concepts? And you talked about stunting, that obviously being something very important in your philosophy. Are you doing some breakdown specifically for that or is it more emphasis within the five on five? Yeah, it, we, we do do emphasis with that um, in, in the breakdown. So we, we, we like to stunt in the half court as well. So, you know, it, it's something that, transfers to both um, our full court pressure and what we're trying to do in the half court defense. So, you know, we, we have some drills we do in the half court with just two guys. Um, like, you know, we'll, we'll set a guy up um, at, at the top of the key with the ball. We'll set a guy up at the wing, two guys defending them. You know, they'll take a, they'll take a dribble towards the other offensive guy and, you know, we'll, we'll stunt and then get back in the passing lane back to our guy. And, and, and you know, we'll, we'll pass back and forth between those guys doing it. Um, a, a drill we used to always do at VCU is kind of like a, it was kind of a warm up drill. Um, we, we'd have three, we'd have three guys, three lines of guys on the baseline um, with the ball. And a lot of times it'd be coaches, it'd be managers, they'd have the ball and you just kind of dribble the length of the court. And you'd have three defenders pressuring the ball. If they were off the ball, they were stunning. You know, it was all about pressuring the ball, you know, really exaggerating your stunning position, um, re- re- really exaggerating your positioning and, and it, it was something to just reinforce that position and stunning part of uh, of the press. Well, I love that. And I love uh, all aspects of pressing. So some curious questions, maybe. Uh, the first being, when you teach pressure to your players, are you first okay with them being over-aggressive? Are you first okay with too much fouling because it's easier to pull them back than obviously push them forward into aggression? Absolutely. I know it's cliche, so I don't I don't mean to use a, a cliche on, on your podcast, but it's it's certainly easier to dial the guys back. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we want the aggression. We want the aggressiveness. Um, you know, we, we really want our guys to be daring when, when they're playing. Um, you know, that, that, that that's why we're doing it. And, you know, we can it, it's much harder to um, get them to grasp the intensity and effort that it's going to take than to have to tell them to dial it back. So, you know, it, it's, uh, again, it's a mentality we're, we're trying to get them to embrace. It's an effort level um, w- in which they have to put forth that we, that we have to get them to understand. So we're, we're definitely okay with some fouling and maybe some overzealousness to begin with so that we can create that mentality. 
Well, it's the off, it's the defensive equivalent to the offensive philosophy of obviously playing fast and accepting a lot of turnovers early or a little bit of, uh, you know, mess early that those different things are inevitable because of the style you're trying to play. Yes. And I, you know, I, I will say this, um, Chris, I, I do think that coaches underestimate the IQs of players sometimes. So, you know, I think they, they, they I think a lot of coaches probably feel like, well, if I introduce this press, you know, it's just going to be crazy and my guys are going to be gambling and running all over the place. Well, no, like, you know, they have enough of a foundation to where by and large, they know what's a bad gamble, uh, what's a bad risk to take. Not saying that those still don't happen, but it doesn't happen, I think, as much as coaches think that it would if they introduced pressing to their team. So, um, you know, we we, kind of let the guys go out there and, and, you know, we we coach on the fly a lot, but effort and intensity um, is the most important thing to begin with. If, If you don't have that as a foundation, then, then it doesn't matter how good you are at, at you know, coaching and teaching the press technically. Um, you, you have to have that want to from the guys um, for it to have any chance of working. A really good point there, coach. And uh, I, another, I, 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 another curious question to me is, when then do you start to introduce press break? Yeah, you know, that, that, that is a, um, that, that's, you brought that up earlier and I actually, I, I meant to address it, but we actually don't put in press offense, um, yeah. you know, because we, we, we want the number one, we, we want our defense to have a chance, you know, against the offense and, and for it to be kind of organic and, and, and not to get formulaic in, in terms of what we're doing. And, and, and if we're just going to play offensively and get the ball in, then it's just going to create so many more scenarios that can happen in a game than if I gave our team what I thought is the best press offense to go against our press defense. Like I, I, I just don't feel like that will, will help our defense as much. So um, I, I, I honestly, I don't put in a press offense until it's probably time to run the games. Um, and a byproduct of that is generally no one's ever trying to press us, Chris, because we press all the time. And, you know, the, the a lot of times the last thing they want to do is, invite an even more up and down game so you know we're unless it's the end of the game and a team is trying to get the ball back you know we don't really face that kind of full court pressure but I I, I don't intro a, a press offense I, I just let these guys go and play and and and, and love the all of the um, you know different variety of, of ways we need to figure out our our, our traps and our intercepting you know th- through what happens organically. It's such an important point. I'm glad you shared that because it's the equivalent of what Kobe Carl said about playing fast on offense and putting in set offense first. Like those two things don't go together. <laughs> exactly. I, I actually, I, I listened to that podcast with him and he, he brought up a lot of good points about, you know, holding back some of that, some of that structure. Um, and, and that's certainly what we, we try to do as well, because, you know, the, these guys need to it's not going to be a perfect world no, ma- no matter what happens. So, you know, the ability to be able to adapt on the fly and and react and respond accordingly in organic fashion is for me the most important thing in basketball in general. But certainly when you're playing at, you know, a, a really up tempo uh, pace. So this connects with another curious question, which I'm excited to hear your answer. Because last season, you set more ball screens per game than any team in the country, and you led the nation in points per game scored from ball screens. And I do want to get into the depth of that a little bit. But more from this pressing standpoint is, do you find you're setting a lot more ball screens because you're playing out of a lot more uh, or a lot less structured moments because of the press and the pace it creates? 
Yeah, so I actually uh, actually talked with uh, one of my good friends, uh, Mike Morell, who's uh, um, one of my best friends. He's at at Asheville right now, and they press a lot. And you know, one thing that I that I give Coach Smart credit for that I, that I took for granted is when you press a lot as a team, and you play a lot, which is what what we do. We play all the time five on five. You really have to um, <laughs> you have to set up scenarios to work on your half court offense. Um, because like you said, you're playing from having broken a press or attacked a press so much that, you know, what, what we're not doing is getting it across half court and then pulling it out and running a play. So what, what we're doing, you know, you know, shout out to your uh, podcast earlier, like uh, with Coach Carl, is that, you know, we're, we're just playing from there. Um, you know, we're, we're just organically doing some of our actions, you know, whether it be a ball screen, whether it start from a DHO, whether it start from a down screen and, and, and then we're just playing. And, you know, we, we, we would like to attempt to not have the ball in, in one area for too long. We don't we don't want anyone to hold the ball, but we just want to get to flowing into our offense. Um, so for us to work on our actual, you know, quick hitting ball screen sets that, that begin our half court possessions. Well, we almost have to set up a, a specific drill for that because when we're just playing and pressing, it, it doesn't present those opportunities don't present themselves very often. Well, and that, that answers what I'm, what I'm asking. And that's, that's tremendous to hear because, you know, if, if you're going to press, then you can't do all these other things like run this perfect scripted offense and this perfectly always organized offense. And it doesn't mean offense is an emphasis. doesn't mean you don't coach it. It just happens in different ways. Exactly. It, it just means, you know, I have to be a little bit more thoughtful about when, you know, when we're going to get our, you know, half court execution in. I got to be a little bit more thoughtful about how we're going to get our half court defensive execution in. Um, because, you know, a, a, a more conventional team, if they're playing five on five full court, like, hey, they're working on if they run a secondary break, they're working on their secondary break every time they they, they get a miss or, or, or even off of a make. Um, if they just flow into an offensive set, they're getting a chance to do that off of miss and make every time um, playing against ourselves. If the other team scores, then, then we're getting pressed every time. And, and so I have to be a little bit more thoughtful. Um, a little bit more planning to make sure we're getting those reps in the half court, both on the offensive and defensive end. But, but, but again, you know, and, and I know we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but I, I'm fine. I'm perfectly okay with that because we need to be able to play beyond our, our, our half court set regardless. So the more opportunities that our guys get to uh, flow and play organically, the better. It's great. And it's a fun style to watch. I've certainly watched some clips over the year and watched more in preparation for this and enjoy watching your team play and uh, the flow into ball screen part of it. Are there some automatics in terms of the different types of ball screens you want to emphasize or the different locations? Uh, we talk sometimes about automatics, whether the bigs ahead or the bigs behind or designated ball screener, et cetera. Can you get into that process of how you do flow into ball screens? Yes, for sure. So, we have spacing, you know, we have spaces, we, we put X's on the floor um, in, in which we want the guys that are off the ball to always fill. And, and, and you know, it's pretty common now, uh, but but what you'll see from us is, is spacing that you'll see at the, you know, at the NBA level, G League, um, you, know, mo you know, most of your Euro League type stuff, you know, we're going to have, we're going to be stretched out in the corners, um, you know, we're, and if it's a wing, you know, we'll be the foul line extended area or, or we might be a triple side where he's kind of up in that slot 
or, or 45 type of area. So we want we want to have perfect spacing. Um, it, it's it's one of our biggest emphasis is spacing. And, and then the biggest thing for us, Chris, if if our offense is humming, generally it's because we're setting really good ball screens. And uh, again, us setting a really good ball screen is a little bit different than what I, I think the idea of a traditional ball screen is. What, what what we want our screener to do is screen what we call the back pocket of his defender. And his entire goal as a screener is to make the guy that's guarding the ball go over top of that screen. And when he's done that, um, he's done his job, and we want him sprint rolling to the rim. And, and then we're playing off of that. Football is in full effect, with many teams strutting their stuff early. The NBA Finals are here, and the MLB playoffs are in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. I love that teaching point. So the back pocket of the defender, and then obviously having a, a very uh, explicit goal in terms of this is when we know a ball screen successful beyond just scoring. If we force the defender over top, then that was a good ball screen. And that's easy to define then for your players in terms of video and review and reflection and teaching, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty simple thing to, to point at. I'm like, you know, it, if, if the defender on the ball is able to just slide under the ball screens and th- then then that, that guy knows pretty much right away that, that he didn't do a good job. Now, you know, we'll we'll flip the angles of screens. You know, you know, we, we typically will have an automatic flip if a guy goes under. But, you know, we, we, we want to keep up the pace of what we're doing and, and, and what our style of play is. We we want to set that proper angle screen the first time we set it. So um, that that's that's very very big for us. We, we made huge strides from year one to year two in terms of the consistency of our of our screening, and, and it helped tremendously in terms of our uh, you know efficiency shooting the ball or our effective field goal percentage. Those all took major jumps, and and it was because of that. So you talked about the role of the screener. What's the role of the handler in aiding that goal of having the uh, defender go over top of the screen? So the, the biggest thing that, you know, one of the things that the genesis uh, of me doing this, and, and, and this is, this was just my opinion of college basketball. Um, I, I feel like there's uh, so many great coaches, um, so many great defensive coaches, but, but one thing that I don't feel like is always consistently taught well or, maybe I should say, maybe not emphasize as much is the spacing. And, you know, when you don't have spacing, great spacing in the college game, you're just inviting more and more traffic in the paint and in the lane. And, and it's just, it just makes a degree of difficulty of reads for the ball handler. It just raises that degree of difficulty so much. So, you know, going back to the spacing, I really wanted to keep the floor spaced as much as possible to simplify the reads of my, of my ball handler as much as possible. So when, when you go back to the duties of the ball handler, he is reading the defense. And, you know, he, he's reading to see who's helping on the roll. Um, if no one helps on the roll, then, then, then we're going to our roller. And if they do help, then then, then we're, we're trying to get those two on the ball so that we can now go attack everyone else 
four on three. Love that. I love that. And, uh, you know, simplifying it really for your players in so many ways, not just in terms of learning, but uh, understanding, you know, what you value out of the ball screen as well. And that's really cool. And uh, we're, we're going to probably circle back to that. One thing I, I, I've never really asked kind of in this way, but I, I think it's so valuable. And I know that you'll be able to give some insights here. When you press, for example, we know what you're getting, but what are you giving up? What are some things that you're okay giving up when you're pressing? Right. So this is this is great because I because I think a lot of coaches can uh, empathize with this um, pressing coaches that don't like to press. You know that that are strictly you know solid conventional half court defensive teams. It, it's a lot like guys that never play zone. Right. So it's like, you know, if, you, if you're a coach and, and hey, I fall under this, like if I, we, we play man probably 99 percent of the time and, you know, you go zone one possession and you give up a three and you're like, oh, we got to get out of this zone. And and, you know, acting as if you can never give up a three when you're in your man to man. But it's just like, you know, it just it just gets under your it just gets under your skin so much that you gave up a three in zone. Well, I think the same thing happens with, with pressing guys that coaches that don't normally press and they go to a press and if they give up a layup, you know, it just drives them crazy. And it's like, you know, I think people forget that, you know, we give up layups and half court defense as well, too, um, all the time. So, um, you know, I, I do think what things that you give up, you you know, there are some more easy basket, you know, what what would be deemed. Um, to the naked eye is just a very easy basket against your press. If you break the press and get a layup or potentially get an open three, um, you do um, to a certain degree. I, I don't like using this word, but you kind of give up control of the game a little bit as a coach yep. because they, you, you, you're picking up the, the, the pace of the game. You know, you're, you're, you're taking the other team out of the comfort of what they want to do. And, and you're giving your team more free reign to, you know, for us to decide when to trap and how to trap and how many times you're going to trap. So, you know, you you can lose some, some sense of maybe the, the, the control that a coach may have over the game. But um, I, I'm totally fine with all of those things because I, I think there's a cumulative effect. I hope that there's a cumulative effect to our press that, you know, um, you know, that, that there's some point throughout the game where, you know, maybe they're a little fatigued or, or maybe they, you know, they have a let our opponent has a lapse in concentration and, and, and it can lead to us having a 8090 run that, that, that can hopefully change the tide of the game. Absolutely great points there. And maybe let's apply the same question to running so many ball screens. What are maybe you, uh, we can guess what you're getting. What are maybe you not doing as much as maybe you would want to because you're running so many ball screens? Well, I would say, you know, things that we don't do as much, obviously, we, we don't really post up as much. Um, we, we had a young man, um, Osaso Asagwai, led the nation in blocks last year. I think he was fourth in the nation in effective field goal percentage. By the end of the year, he had just improved so much and worked on this game that we were running post-ups for him. But I would say for a year and a half, we didn't, we didn't post up our bigs at all. Um, and we didn't do a ton of off-ball screening. Now, we did more last year. We're working on doing some more this year, um, but 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 I would say those are two things that that, that we are not doing as much, and and I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, I'm I'm more concerned with um, trying to space the defense out um, and, and simplify the reads um, for our guys so that they can go out there and play and be free. 
Um, and, and, and then again, you know, we're, we're, we're different than, you know, I, I know it's kind of all the rage in, in, in college basketball, the, you know, ball screen continuity deal, you know, we're, we're different than that. Like we're not, you know, we're not trying to set as many ball screens as we can on the possession. Um, if we can score on the first ball screen that we set, then that's what we want to do. And I, I think part of what makes our second and third ball screen effective is that I think the defense knows that they have to they have to be ready for the first ball screen. They have to be ready for our first drag screen because if we get if we get a look, we are shooting it. And um, you know we, we we're we're not afraid, obviously, to shoot early in the shot clock at times, maybe to our detriment. But I, I do think that it, it makes our offense more dangerous. And, and and as we continue to become more and more accustomed to this system, and and continue to to recruit skilled guys and and. and and to develop this, the skill of the guys we have, I think it can become better and better. Well, and the numbers speak to all of this and how remarkable a job you've really done in the sense that when taking over a new roster, you would think there'd be a little bit of, you know, a transition and a period of time to get to figure things out. But I mean, immediately in your first year, you were number one in tempo in the nation, right? And then obviously tremendous, tremendous success with the press and, uh, you know, steals and creating opportunities that way as well. So uh, what, what were some of the keys to change right away? Well, number one, I, I was incredibly fortunate to inherit a team that was eager to, to play the way that we wanted to play. Um, I, I inherited, I'll tell anyone that, that, that can listen, I inherited an, an all-conference point guard uh, a kid by the name of Ryan Beard, who was second in the nation in, in steals, um, who was perfect for our system. Uh, most new coaches don't get that opportunity to, to, to inherit someone like that. Um, I, I inherited some guys that, that, that fit, just happened to organically fit a lot of the things that we do. And then we recruited guys that, that, that in that first class we brought in in that first year that certainly fit what we do. Um, so, so that was all, a, a, a perfect marriage, but they, they were eager for a, a new way of doing things. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a fun way to play. Um, they, they quickly find out how demanding a way of playing it is and, 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 and how hard it can be physically and how taxing it can be mentally, but it's it, it certainly, um, you, you know, it's it certainly an enjoyable way to play. And I'll never forget um, I know we're not supposed to talk about those secret scrimmages, but we scrimmaged an in-state uh, team that, that was really good, really good. And, man, we, we, it, so it was our first time going against someone else, and we were pressing and turning them over. And I want to say they ended up turning it over like 30 times in the scrimmage. And so it gave our guys – some confidence and man, this really works. Like this is a team that, you know, that they were picked to be the, the best team in our league. And, and we really had success playing our way. And, and that helped a lot. I'll always harken back to that scrimmage and we lost that, that scrimmage, but our guys saw that man, like they, they were able to see the vision that we were trying to lay out for them. They were able to see, um, you know, the, the fruits of their labor a little bit. And, and, and so the buy-in was key. Yeah, well, and and it showed obviously single season records in points, rebounds, assists, steals. That's pretty crazy. And you led the nation in steals that first year, right? Two ten point six a game. Yeah, we, we actually we led the nation in steals and turnovers forced and turnover margin. Um, so I, I can't say that I expected that, 
but 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 a lot of that is um and, and this is this is to a benefit to us there just aren't many programs in the country that that um full court press and trap with, with, with any regularity through a game so you know when, when you play against FIU it's it's something that you're not really accustomed to doing and you know every team has a press offense but they're not used to being pressed and trapped throughout the entirety of a game and and that's what we do so you know i i especially think in year one that you know we probably took some people by surprise you know they just weren't used to it didn't have a lot of film on us and it becomes harder with each year you know the same thing happened at vcu you know that you know teams especially teams in your conference they get they have game film to study now and you know they try to exploit where you trap and how you trap but um, you know, we're, we can make our adjustments too. And, and, you know, it, it becomes an execution game at some point, no matter what. That's awesome. Let's talk about adjustments a little bit and maybe just talk about from year one to year two. Did you press more? Did you press less? What did you find in terms of some adjustments? Obviously different personnel. We know that one, but were there some things that you saw in the league that caused you to say, Hey, let's adjust this because it'll work better in our league. So this was my idea going into year one. Um, you know, I, we were taking over a program that's, you know, I think had four winning seasons ever um, and, you know, had 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 one winning season in like the past 18 years. So and in a very strong conference, you know, uh, in Conference USA, some some renowned programs, great coaches all across the board. So but my idea was we were going to be as extreme as possible that year. That gave us the best chance. Um, we were going to make the game a track meet. Uh, we, we were going to press and trap and try to make the team as uncomfortable as humanly possible because that was an equalizer for us um, and, and felt like it helped us maximize our talent while equalizing, you know, maybe some talent and size efficiencies that, that, that we may have against the other team. So in year one, that's what we did. And we had – we had some success with it. Um, and in year two, we were better. And, and you know, our year was cut short in the conference tournament. We won our first conference tournament game. And then, and then obviously COVID hit and we weren't able to continue. But we had a better team last year, even though we had one less win. We had a much better team. But so we were able to be a little bit more conventional. I, I didn't think, you know, we didn't have to make the game crazy um, to, to win. Um, so that, and, and, and I think the same, you know, maybe a little bit of both this year as well, but, but in year one, you know, that, that, that was really our approach. And it, it's interesting. I, I felt a little bit, not that I was seeking an affirmation, but I was actually fortunate enough to be on a zoom call with coach Billy Donovan. And, you know, one of the questions we posed to him was, you know, what would he do if he were in college now? And he, and he was adamant in that if he was at a place where the talent level, um, you know, maybe didn't match, uh, you know, he was a little undermanned talent wise, didn't match maybe the, the, the level of his opponents that he would just do something to the extreme, you know, play extremely fast, maybe play extremely slow, um, you know, play a, play a zone, you know, the whole game, press the whole game, but something like that. And, and that was, that was kind of our approach coming in. Now, now it just so happened to be a style of play and a mentality that, that, that I uh, ascribe to uh, generally, but, but, but that, but that was kind of our approach, Chris. And, and, and I, it really helped us set the tone, I think, for, for what we want our program to be about. Well, and that's such a great point. And it's, 
it's tremendous because I think you've heard that theme throughout a bunch of these podcasts for those that have listened to a number of them is one of the easiest ways or the best ways possibly even to change a culture is to shock that culture, right? To just, again, we're not going to tiptoe into this. We're going to go and completely change and almost that, that, uh, being confronted by this change forces players to really, really, again, I mean, in, in the case we've talked about, buy in. And, and if I can say that, you're exactly right. And and, and from my vantage point, Chris, I, you need two things for that shock to, to, to truly work. Is you need players who are willing to buy in, which my guys were. And, and I will be forever grateful to, to, to that first team, that first crew of seniors. And you also got to have a staff that fully understands and and, and can really communicate your vision and, and help it translate to the court. And, you know, I, I had I had a team that bought in and I, and I have a staff that is incredible um, and, and covers up for all my deficiencies, which are many and plentiful. So, you know, having those two things really help that shock that you talk about really help to be successful. And it makes me reflect on my first year taking over at Windsor and again, traditionally losing program Been 27 years since they've got anywhere significant. And I remember, and it was a conscious thing that I brought a coaching colleague of mine from where I coached previously to that first practice. And the reason was, and it happened a number of times where either a player or a coach went over to that person and said, is this for real? And it was just one of those things that it was like it added credibility. So I can imagine the importance of a staff in that way, too, to be able to say, hey, guys, this is how we're doing it. And we're doing it this way. So let's get going to add that credibility to what you do. And I had the incredible fortune of working uh, for Coach Smart at VCU and, and, you know, Coach Smart having a, a truly epic and legendary run at VCU that, you know, I think, you know, everyone in college basketball still remembers and, and you know, that there's still a vision of that. And so the guys knew that that could work at that level and, um, you know, at, at a level that wasn't a power five level. And, and so they were excited about it. And, and everyone, you know, every coach on my staff, we were all at VCU together at one point or another. So, you know, we were all on the same page together in terms of the press and, and, and the kind of approach and um, you know, not to use a buzzword, but the culture piece that we were trying to develop. Uh, we, 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 we were all on the same page with that. And I, I think everyone in our program felt that. So you, you do a lot of two-way coaching in practice, offense and defense at the same, same time. So can you first maybe talk about, uh, what you specifically focus on the most? And then maybe secondly, what the staff role is in developing, say, the press in this two-way coaching model that you employ? Uh, well, yeah, great question. My, my staff is crucial to everything that we do. Um, these guys, uh, David Quezon, Jesse Bob, Joey Rodriguez, our assistant coaches, um, Michael Leva, Xavier Anderson, our, our, our operations and, and video coordinator, they do incredible jobs as well. But our on-court coaches, the things that these guys catch um, is it, it, truly remarkable. And it's hard to catch everything uh, on a possession, no matter what. I think all of us coaches get that. But w- when you're playing at the pace and speed of which we're doing, um, you know, on both sides and, you know, we're we're trying to disrupt the the, the other team's offense – while at the same time we're trying to attack the, the the defense at a pace, like man, there's a lot of things happening uh, at, at the same time, and, and, and so you know to have assistant coaches that that they can pick up on those 
um, nuances on the fly, um, you, you know, is big because, um, you know, we play all the time, Chris. And, and, and um, you know, we, we do our teaching and, and we do our explaining um, as quickly as we can. We want to be as explicit as we can, but we want to do it quickly as well um, to 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 just reemphasize to the guys the pace and the urgency at which we want to be at in everything that we do. Um, so I, I, I'm constantly, you know, we, we've been able to do this so long that there, there, there are just certain things if we're pressing that, that, that we're that, that they're going to catch my eye. Are we pressuring? Did we get into the press quick enough? Um, are we pressuring the ball in the press? Are, are, are we off the ball um, the way we need to be? Um, so, so, so those, those things, you know, I'm pretty, you know, we, we can pick up on pretty quickly. Um, and, and then offensively again, you know, like, like we said, you know, we're really trying to simplify things for our guys. Um, you know, it, it's, it's simple to see our, okay. Is our spacing correct? Um, is someone holding the ball for too long? Um, are we setting the proper angled screen? Are we sprint rolling? Um, are, are we keeping the ball hot? So those are the the the, the general things that, that we're looking at and that we're coaching. Um, so uh, and, and I have an unbelievable amount of sets of eyes that can help me catch all the things that I miss. But but as much as we can simplify the things for guys and that they can they can pick out themselves, if they can know how they messed up on a possession, then, then we've really got something going with our team. Well, it's such a great point because the variability of your possessions is higher than a team that obviously plays just in the half court. So to be able to simplify what those key things that lead to success are is so important, such an important point. And uh, I'm curious then, are there specific analytics that are more geared towards a team that presses that are more valuable to a team that presses? Yeah. So the, you know, the, the per possession stuff is still big for us. Um, effective field goal um, percentage numbers are big for us. Um, you know, rebounding percentage numbers are big for us um, because rebound margin, that's not, that's not a fair statistic for us because, you know, like I said, in year one, we led the nation in turnover margin. So, you know, if, if we're turning, if we're turning the team over a lot more, we're not going to have as many chances at rebounds. Now I say that being one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the country for the last two years. So that, that that's something that, that we cert- we're certainly trying to address, but it, it's partly a product of how we play and partly a product of our personnel. I mean, we've we've played what, what would be deemed as four guards um, to you know to, to the conventional eye probably ninety seven percent of the time that I've been here. Um, you, you know now, now now and that and we're okay with that. We we want to get better in those rebounding areas, but we, we want to try to take advantage. Uh, of having that much skill and speed on the court and other areas of the game that's big for us. So what's the discrepancy at, at three-point shooting? That's something we're, we're looking at. What's the discrepancy in turning the ball over? Um, you, you know, things of those nature are things that would be big to us. Football is in full effect with many teams starting their stuff early. The NBA finals are here and the MLB playoffs are in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.
Listen up, fellows, because today we have a new Manscaped product alert. Manscaped just released the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. Take a look in the mirror and I guarantee you'll see hair sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking as nice as your clean-shaven pubes. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Weed Whacker. The nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. The premium Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Its intelligently contoured design enhances the trimming experience and it is waterproof, which makes for easy operation and cleaning. Look, fellas, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. What are you waiting for? Go whack your weed. Thank you, Manscaped, for keeping our pubes trimmed and hairs in our holes looking nice. Now back to the podcast. We'll talk about the three-point line then and uh, the importance of defending the three-point line, obviously, in modern college basketball. And you were ranked, I believe, 11th in three-point defense. So that's obviously an emphasis within the press as well. Yes, so it is. And and I would say where we made the biggest strides, Chris, is and this is something else that we do that's unique. We 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 switch um screens both on and off the ball at every position, um, you know, throughout the entirety of the game. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense that that, that we would have been good at defending the three-point line last year. Um, because you know, what, what typically happens at the end of the game when it, when another team needs a three pointer is, you know, they, they go to switching everything and that's what we do all game long. So, you know, we're trying to stay out of rotation, which, you know, in theory is, you know, you're not giving up as many open looks from the three. And, and so this year it was big for us to defend a three point line consistent, consistently to defend it well. And because we really wanted to have a, um, you know, a, a big discrepancy in what we were doing from the three-point line and, and what our opponents were doing. So what are you teaching your players in recovery in the press? Are, are we talking about recovery to get, be able to get out? I mean, you talked about the value of obviously switching, and I want to come back to that. But what are some specific cues that you give your players in terms of getting to the three-point line? Well, it's such an important point that you bring up. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, so many people focus on what you're actually doing in the press. But the most important thing about the press is what you do after it. Because yeah. how, how good you are at pressing, you're not turning the team over every time. Um, so, we, you know, we call it fix it. We have to do a great job of fixing it after they break our trap, um, after they break our pressure. So it, it, it's all about urgency. It's all about talk. Uh, it's all about, you know, solving the problem, uh, once they, once they break that trap. So, you know, we're sprinting to the level of the ball, we're talking, we're communicating, we're getting matched up. And and then we want to make them have to go up against our half court defense. And one of the things that you you can look at that, you know, that's a, a Ken Palm kind of advanced statistic number is if you look at our numbers in our first year, we had the fastest possession offensively in the country, but we also had one of the fastest defensive possessions in the country. And, and that was not good. <laughs> that meant we were either turning someone over really quick or they were scoring on us really quickly. 
um, this past year, our defensive uh, possession was much longer. And that's because if we didn't turn them over, we did a good job of fixing it out of the press and making them go against our, our half court defense and making them have a long possession. Um, so that, that was really big for us. And, and it's, it's really about urgency and communication, fixing it out of the press. Well, I love the common sense approach too, because the idea of switching every screen is a simplicity. Then you're not worrying about in fixing it. You're not worrying about matchups. You're worrying about fixing it first and then figuring out matchups later. Yes. And and it's just something like I want to be as interchangeable as possible. And it's something that, you know, we also do that on the offensive end. I, you know, we can talk about that a little bit as well, but I, I tell you what, the genesis of that was, you know, I, I can remember, you know, I, I felt like coaches, every coach that I'd been, you know, ever worked for, like whenever there was a team that switched with, with any type of regularity and no one did it all the time, you know, it would always be, you know, you'd have to have this big think tank about what are we going to do when they're switching? And I just always thought, I was like, well, man, if it causes that much problems, like, why don't we do that a little bit more? And then I, I worked for one year, uh, Coach Coach Kevin Stallings' first year at Pitt. I learned so much when I was there. But in that year, we, we, we had this lineup. We, we had a six, seven point guard in Jamel Artis. And, and we were we were six, five or taller um, across the board in our, our, our starting lineup. And Coach Stallings said, you know what, we're going to switch all our screens on and off the ball. And we weren't great at guarding the ball and we didn't have great rim protection, but, 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 but I tell you what, Chris, we were in the, obviously in the ACC and, you know, you're going against, you know, the blue blood programs and programs with the best players in the country. And, and when I tell you that the the switching of the screens, it, it befuddled almost every team we went against and it really took them out of everything um, that, that, that they were trying to do. And so I told myself, man, if I ever got a chance to, to have my own program, I, I would love to implement this um, because, because if we got some, a team that could really guard the ball and keep the ball in front, I think the switching could, could really cause some problems. So that's what we're trying to create here. Um, you know, we, we made some big strides in year two in our defense and being solid and, 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 and we're hoping that we can, you know, make similar strides this year as well. Well, I love it. And having been a coach that is definitely aligned with that, uh, we used to switch everything. And I did it for a little bit different reason. In addition to simplifying things, it gave me more time to work on what I felt were the things that made the biggest impact, which for us to win, we had to score. So we got more time to work on offense because it simplified our defensive teaching. To a certain extent, does the press do that for you too? It it sure does. What it does is, you know, teams that are used to, getting to their perfect spots for offense and, and, and their timing, you know, being, being perfect, that the, the pressing helps take them out of that. It helps them be as, as efficient in, in their half court, you know, um, you know, perfect execution. Um, it, 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 it takes out, it, it takes out some variables and some specifics that they're used to doing. So love doing that. And I am a thousand percent on board with you and, and that, just knowing that we're going to switch every screen cuts down on having to teach our team how to guard every specific screen and spend so much time doing it. Um, and, and again, it allows us to work on things that are more important, like scoring the ball or just like guarding the ball on defense. 
um, you know, thing and just simple rotations versus, okay, this is how we guard a back screen. This is how we guard a cross screen. This is how we guard a flare screen. This is how we guard a down screen. This is how we guard a down screen at this angle. Well, hey, we're, ju we're just going to switch it. Um, and, and, and so it gives us more time to, 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 to work on the most important thing. And generally speaking, the most important thing is, is us, FIU. And with that, so you switch, are you finding then that you're doing some triple switching, some switches to get out of matchups at the rim per se, uh, to be able to help your rebounding, uh, or, you know, what are some different things that you're doing to be able to change bad matchups? Well, Chris, I, I need to get you a plane ticket from California down here to Miami to, to help teach this triple switching. Because I'm in, Coach. I've tried I'm coming. <laughs> I've tried to introduce it a couple of times. Haven't done as great a job of it. We want to do that more this year because we're, you know, we're going to have some really small guys that are going to play a lot of minutes. Um, and, and and we've switched we've switched our small smallest guy onto our biggest guy for 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 two years. And generally worked more. We, we've been more vigilant about teaching fronting that post um, and, and then loading up on the backside if they try to lob it over top. But but I want to get better at, at, at the triple switching. And and we have some we have some combinations on the floor that could do it on their own um, much better than others. But but it's certainly something that, that I want to make sure that we can do with more consistency because it's it's just another way to protect some of our smallest guys and and just another wrinkle to to, to throw at the other team's offense. Well, again, I, I mean, I'm just so grateful for people like you that come on here and talk about things, not just that you do, but things that you can even do better. And that's that's tremendous. And what what humility you show in just saying that. And clearly you can if you want to. But as you already have alluded to, you can't do it all. So ultimately, you have to decide what's best for your team and your program in handling these different situations. But as you know, coach, the first question a coach is going to say, oh, well, what about bad matchups? What about bad matchups? And it's like, again, do you know your percentage of time that you get hurt on a bad matchup? I'm imagining it's lower than people would even imagine. Yes, sir. Well, uh, Coach Mike Rhodes, who is a phenomenal coach and a phenomenal human being who I had the opportunity to work with at VCU and I worked for him for a year at VCU. He, he said this to me, a man, it always stuck with me. He said, um, um, open shots beat you more than bad matchups do. So, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, at, at this level, let, 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 let's try to prevent as many open shots a, as we can. Um, the college game allows us, if you get a bad matchup, you know what you can do? There's no illegal defense. You can load up as much as you want. You know, you, you can flood to that guy. You can shade to that guy. Um, you know, so so you should be able to prevent some some bad matchups. And that's not to say that that we don't get taken advantage of at times in matchups. That's not at all. Anyone can watch our team and say that that happens. But if I can take away uh, more open shots, then I'd rather then we can live with that. Yeah, I'm on board. I just think I think more high school coaches and that's kind of my always suggestion to high school coaches. They say, oh, you've watched all this around the world, all this different stuff, been around all these coaches. And I say, hey, let's simplify what you do on defense, like switch everything so that you can focus on truly developing your players from an offensive perspective. And, uh, you know, that's that's something that obviously holds true, I think, to this day with everything that we're talking about, about the modern game. But, you know, isn't it funny, coach, like. You know, when I grew up playing and I talked about, but it was like a cardinal sin to switch, you know, it was, it was mm -hmm. like, 
it was almost like a sign of weakness that you would ever switch anything. And, you know, so I think, you know, so many coaches kind of came up with that and that's obviously changing. It's become so prevalent at the next level. And, 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 you know, with the preeminence of, of these stretch fours and all that, you see more and more switching, but it, it's certainly something that, that we've adopted. I, you know, I think anyone that's played us with any regularity knows that's what they're going to do, what, what we're going to do. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, they, 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 you know, the, they put in things to try to take advantage of that, but we're okay with that. You know, if, if you're, if you're trying to put in all these special plays to, to try to take advantage of our switching, then that's, that's taken away from things that, that, that they would normally work on that that's, that they're probably even better at. Well, that's such a great point. And that is true, right? That they, even to attack a matchup, you have to take yourself out of what you usually do in terms of the rhythm of your offense or what, what you're trying to get sometimes as well. So uh, the other part uh, that uh, talking just about the press and switching and all these different things is when you do switch, what do you find the hardest thing to be able to get your players to do is? Yeah. So um, one of the things that can happen when, when you're a switching team, especially off the ball is that you can become a little bit man conscious because, you know, you're, and when I say man conscious, meaning that, you know, you're creeping more towards your man because you're more concerned about switching these screens off the ball than you are necessarily, you know, pulling towards the ball and, and, and having good off the ball positioning. So it, it's an area where we, we made big strides last year. It's something we're really trying to address now is that, Hey, we can still come together and, and have a good clean switch by still making sure what we're loaded up to the ball properly and in, and in our, our proper help positions. And the other part is, I mean, the Rockets, uh, Houston Rockets probably have, created some fear in coaches about switching because you watch them sometimes get dissected, but we're talking, you've already made this point about the spacing, the NBA rules, uh, no illegal defense, and obviously the talent level of the players. And generally those situations happen less at the, obviously you move down to college, you move down to high school, you know, it's not going to look like the Rockets defense because you know, that level of talent and that spacing is not a problem. And, and then I, I go, I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because I, I would say this, it's, you know, again, I, I think people forget like, Hey guys, you, you know what? Like the, the Lakers c- can score on teams that don't switch as well. Totally. <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> you know, LeBron James and AD score against non-switching defenses too. So, you know, I, I think, you know, coach D'Antoni employed a system that, that he thought gave his team a best chance to win. And, and, and I think a lot of times, you know, these coaches and, and systems that are, you know, um, unconventional, but when it doesn't work, um, when they don't win a championship, then, then it's easy to bash them. And it's like, Hey, you know, go back and look at his teams. Like they, they had some of the best defenses, um, by the numbers in in the last four or five years. So, you know, they, you know, they, they were a game away from beating golden state warriors. Like, you know, it, it, it worked in many ways. And, and again, it's what's most important is, it's what that coach felt was their was their team's best chance to win, and and this is something that that's near and dear to my heart is that are you coaching to be conventional and keep the game close, or are you coaching to give your yourself the best chance to win? And there's a if you don't mind me shouting out another podcast, and I I know please you don't, do. yeah, please but, do. Uh, but another fellow Canadian, I you know I, I listened to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. Um, I, I think it's a seven rules of life and it was talked about pulling the goalie 
And it talked about in hockey how, how these math quants, they like studied the game. And 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 obviously you would probably know, not to stereotype, uh, so no offense, Chris, <laughs> but I'm sure you would know infinitely more about hockey than I do. But essentially, I, I, I think I think the deal is, you know, when you're down kind of big, late, you pull your goalie and put all your offensive players out there to try to give you a chance to come back and win. Well, all these math quants came together and said, well, you know what? These coaches should actually be pulling the goalie much earlier than what they do. And, you know, p- part of Malcolm Gladwell's whole whole point was, well, coaches don't like doing it because a lot of times what's maybe a, a five to two game could become a 10 to three game. But are you more concerned with how bad that 10 to three looks, that 10 to three loss looks, or the fact that you might come back and win that game? So when I took this over, I wasn't I understood that there are going to be some games where, hey, this 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 might flame out in a horrific way. But but this gives our team the best chance to win. And so I have no problem pulling my goalie for 40 minutes if that's what it's going to be. What a great analogy. And obviously punting in footballs, things like this that have been proven somewhat statistically, you know, non-traditional, whatever it is. But it's really hard for us as coaches. And I've said this before on the podcast. I think so many of these decisions, unfortunately, are around and they should be. They should be around job preservation. Right. So it's like if I look completely differently than someone else and lose then it seems like I'm the problem, <laughs> right? And look no further than the Houston Rockets. You know, now all of a yeah. sudden it's, oh, how they play. Well, it's like just because they play different. Well, you know what? The the, the, the Lakers also beat uh, the Denver Nuggets and Portland Trailblazers and, 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 you know, looks like they might beat our hometown Miami Heat here. Like, so they, they beat conventional teams as well. There's, there's only going to be one champion. You know, so, um, you know, be, being someone that stands out from the crowd for doing something different, um, you know, it, it should not be the scarlet letter. Well, and the VCU example is a great one. We celebrate it when it works. Yep. Right. Like we're over the top celebrating it when it works. So I, it's definitely worthy to be able to play the best way that you feel can help your team win. For sure. Coach, talk about you talked about the importance of defending the ball uh, since we switch a lot we don't have to worry about the type of screens as much, but then I'm imagining in your scout and in your practices, there's much more focus on these individual matchups, which is another benefit of switching all screens. Exactly. So, Hey, you, you, you could have the best scheme in the world, right? But if you can't guard the ball, then what, what does that scheme matter? So we really try to focus on guarding the ball um, from, from all positions because Obviously, our biggest and slowest guy might have to guard their smallest and quickest guy. So, you know, we we really work on guarding the ball and rotations from guarding the ball. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought we made a, a a huge leap in as a team was when when our monster switched onto a, a guard, and, and we we call our we only have two positions here at FIU. We we call the traditional what would be a traditional or conventional five man. We call him a monster. And we call everyone else a playmaker. Uh, we, we don't have one, two, three, four, five. Uh, we have playmakers and monsters. So if our monster switches on to another team's guard, then we got a lot better this year at loading up from all those other positions and, and, and taking away the, you know, trying to take away those driving lanes so that so that our monster could then focus more on not giving him a good look from three and keeping him in front at the same time. 
I love that. I love that. Another uh, another way to be able to simplify your system, you know, in real simple terms as well. Uh, another question I had is is about uh, that you led the nation in block shots. Was that last year? Yeah. So we we it's funny. I, I, we don't. We're not sure our SID was supposed to look into it. We're not sure that it's ever happened, but we led the nation in steals in year one, and then we led the nation in blocks in year two. So we're not sure that it's ever happened that a team has led the nation in steals and blocks in back-to-back years. But, but yes, we, we were able to do that this past season. So I'm curious what changed then this season that led to more blocks? And again, is that because you changed a little bit, you didn't press as much, but I'm curious then, was it a different emphasis in the half court or was it simply the difference of obviously a tremendous player? Yeah, so we, we were still a good shot blocking team um, in our first year. Um, and I'm not sure where we were. We were probably top 15, maybe maybe top 10, but we were just better at it the, the next year. And, and we had the best shot blocker in the year, um, a guy who I thought was the most impactful defensive player in the country not only because he led the nation in blocks, but because he led the nation in blocks and also guarded all five positions for 40 minutes. Um, but but personnel-wise, we had other guys that, that were good at blocking shots as well. We, we brought in another big guy off the bench who was a good shot blocker, averaged over a block a game in probably like 10 minutes. Um, and, and then, you know, we, we, we were really good at closeouts, and, and we had other guys that would get deflections and blocks, and, and you know, we tried to fly around and make plays. And, um, you know, it, it, it was a byproduct of personnel – um, as much as anything and, and, and mentality as well. Yeah. And uh, do, was there any, is there any specific technique that you teach or anything that you're emphasizing in terms of shot blocking? I mean, you talked about fixing it. Shot blocking is a part of that mentality in the press, or is it equally important in the half court for you as well? Well, I, I coach, I wish I could tell you I was this tremendous um, shot blocking coach. <laughs> But I, I, I would tell you what makes me a, a good shot blocking coach is, is my assistant coaches that um, recruit great guys that can block shots and, and, and do a great job of holding them accountable to doing what they're capable of. Um, we, we, we had a young man, uh, you know, uh, Osasu, who was an incredible shot blocker. Um, so he made me look like I'm a good shot blocking coach. So I'll, I'll, I'll accept that mantle, but, but, you know, in reality, it, it was very little that we did. We, you know, we encourage positioning, we encourage effort. Um, we encourage, um, all of our players giving the best that they absolutely can at all times. And, and, and the best, his best was being the best shot blocker in the country. So we were able to get that, but, um, there, there, there's not much technique, um, that I could give to them. You know, it's, it's their length. It's their tenacity. Um, it's it's a little bit of our positioning and 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 um, you know making sure that that they're giving effort. But um, it's not a lot that I do, Coach, for sure. Can you talk? This is circling back from the beginning, but you talked about playing beyond the set. Is is that something? I and mean, we talked about it privately about the way I phrased it is uh, start with the end in mind. Uh, can you talk about the importance of that to the success of your program playing beyond the set? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've been so fortunate to work for some amazing coaches um, in my career. And so much, so many of them did such an incredible job of coaching offense and execution and all the tiniest details of, you know, being at this specific spot and this specific timing of a play. And I'm not saying those things aren't important to me because they are, 
But what's more important to me is what we're doing beyond that play that, that I just put in. Um, and, and so, but like you say, put something in, you know, with, with the end, you know, with the end in mind. And, you know, what, what, what we want to do is what we don't want to have any um, coach smart talks about this all the time with me. We don't want to have any pauses in the offense. Um, you know, we, this, this is what I think college coaches are tremendous at is coaching um, off the ball defense. And the second you reset your offense, the second that ball is held too long in one place, man, these defenses are loaded up on you and, and, and right where they need to be um, to clog up your offense. So we really want to make sure we're flowing to the next thing, ball movement-wise, player movement-wise. And, and so I'm coaching that way harder than I'm coaching our quick-hitting set that, that began the play with. Yeah, such a great point and such a great emphasis as well in terms of ultimately what leads to success. Coach, as we start to wind this down, we got to come back full circle to just talking about tempo. It, it, it's not just a case of just pressing, right? That increased tempo and created and led to you guys being number one in the nation. Can you talk about some of the factors that led to your pace of play? Yeah, well, uh, again, we, we want to try to simplify things as much as we could. So, you know, one of the things we simplified things is, you know, there's no, there's no position. So we have, we pretty much have four playmakers on the court and one monster on the court at all times. At times we have five playmakers, but each guy has to know whatever our set is that they have to know it from each spot on the court. Um, and, and then they just have to understand the spacing and our actions beyond the play. So we want to simplify it in that way so that we don't have to hold the ball waiting for this specific player to get to this specific spot. We're just flowing as quickly as we can into whatever set I called or, or, or into just playing um, out of transition. And, and, we've, and we feel like that frees up our guys to just go be players and get to spots and be ready to make plays when, when the ball comes their way. Um, and, and again, like guys want to play fast. Like, you know, that's what they grow up doing. You know, they love watching highlights of guys playing fast and being in attack mode. So it's not hard to get them to want to do that. Now they quickly realize how hard it is to play fast and, and the conditioning level that goes into that. And, and that playing fast doesn't mean that you can throw the ball all over the gym or, or take any, you know, any shot that comes. Um, but, but, but they, they do enjoy it. And, and that enjoyment, um, really helps you to hold, hold them accountable. Well, I love that. And, uh, coach, I mean, just so many great insights throughout this and, uh, you know, talking to a coach who presses, but a coach that obviously not just presses, but, uh, thinks about the things beyond the press that go into success. And I think that's what we've heard today. And I really appreciate you sharing that. No, th th thanks so much for having me on. And, and, um, I know that I learned so much from this podcast each and every week and all the guests you have from, from across the spectrum of basketball. So to, to be on was an honor and, and um, I, I appreciate you having this discussion with me. Well, awesome. And we, we look forward to continue to watching you rewrite the program's record books as uh, you continue to move FIU forward coach. Yeah. And that plane ticket's coming your way to come in and uh, <laughs> kill some real basketball down there. Let's go. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter. Mm -hmm.